Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're celebrating our last episode of the year, talking about our favorite Christmas traditions. Then we'll chat with Chef Junior Borges of Meridian Restaurant about Brazilian cuisine and his thoughts and goals for 2023. And after this episode, we'll be taking a break for two weeks, so be sure to come back on January 12th for a new year of fresh episodes. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make every recipe in the cookbook foodie or a my favorite recipes reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and helpful links. We also want to hear about your favorite dishes and restaurants, so please share with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking with Chef Junior Borges of Meridian, but right now I'm joined by food writers Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller and our producer Julie Fist to talk about our favorite Christmas food traditions. So I didn't really grow up with many Christmas food traditions. Like we had other Christmas stuff that we did, you know, like I remember drinking hot chocolate while going to watch the Christmas lights. So that was kind of a big one. You stick a peppermint candy cane in the hot chocolate and like that was kind of a big deal. That's still Um, so good. It is. Yeah. It's something every kid really loves and my son loves it now too. So that was kind of kind of our main like drink tradition and there were just a lot of chocolates and candy around the house I feel like there were always the Hershey kisses and the green and red and silver I just remember a lot of candy did you get the um kind of creepy chocolate Santas that were hollow probably like the Easter bunny stand yep yes yeah we also got the lifesaver storybook in our stockings and so that's something that I do for my son as well something that just jogged my memory is that when I was growing up in high school I became really close friends with a girl who was Jewish and me and most of my friends were born and raised Catholic and Catholics just I don't know they tend to like hang out with other Catholic people I'm not really sure it's it's kind of a way and um we were legitimately curious and clueless to what the holidays could look like in Daniela's house. Uh, and she also had a traditional kosher kitchen in oh. their home. So like two sinks and everything. Wow. It was really neat and really um, interesting yeah. for a bunch of us Catholic girls. And Daniela's house was a place where everybody hung out. And so the first year we knew her, we said, please let us come to anything. We just want to know, you know, how you do Hanukkah. And so her mom would make all these dishes for us that we'd never even heard of. And if you think back to when you were in, you know, middle school or high school, and you're still kind of like learning that people are not the same as you. And also, of course, that the world doesn't revolve around you. (laughs) And so that was a really cool thing I remember. And now I want my kids to be able to experience somebody else's traditions, whether that's Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa or anything else. But Hanukkah... I learned so much about it. We got to light the menorah and we got to sing some of the songs with her family. Oh, that is so nice. Yeah, my son often asks if we can also celebrate Hanukkah. But I think he, he <laughs> I think he heard about like the eight presents. You know, you get a present for each day. So I think that's why. But he, he wanted a menorah the other day when we went to Man, Target. That, that is a religious studies question that didn't come in the parenting handbook. You're like, God, what is the answer to that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't he can know. go to Daniela's house. <laughs> exactly. On, how about that? So what do you guys do? What are your traditions? My family does have food traditions that we stick to for sure so 
Every Christmas Eve, we make boeuf bourguignon over a mashed potato. And it's so good. And it's like a whole big family thing. Everyone participates and helps cook. Even my vegetarian sister, she usually leads the charge, which is Hmm. quite the act of love. I love that. Um, But we also, we always do like a mushroom version for her. uh, And it's so good too. And then Christmas morning, after we do stockings and presents, we eat linguisa, Portuguese linguisa sausage and eggs every morning. My mom is Portuguese and she has had that for every Christmas morning her whole life. I think maybe she's skipped it one year, um, but her entire life she's she's had it. And now um, I've had it every year of my life, every Christmas. Um, so is it like a special a celebratory sausage that you don't eat like normally throughout the year? For us, yes, but not in Portuguese okay. culture. Okay. Linguisa is a Calabrian chili smoked pork sausage and how we do it we cut it in diagonal rounds and throw it in a really hot cast iron and so it gets crispy and what my family does is kind of developed over the years I grew up in a part of the Phoenix area that is just densely populated with orange trees so we would have fresh oranges every every Christmas morning Um, I've still never had a better orange than the ones that were in my backyard. But we would take some of the orange juice and throw it, you know, squeeze some in the really hot cast iron with the sausage as it was finishing. And it would give this incredible caramelized, crispy crunch on the outside of the sausage with a little bit of sweetness. So good. Wow, that sounds great. It's so good. That does sound amazing. Um, And we still do that every year, even though we don't have the Arizona oranges like we used to. Where do you find the sausage? Growing up, there was a butcher shop in our neighborhood that surprisingly had it. But otherwise, it's been tough for me to find here in Dallas. Gosh, one year I like had to go to Central Market and like beg the butcher counter, like, can you please make this for me? Because I could, just couldn't find it uh, for sale anywhere. You'd have to like order it online. A big brand is um, Gaspar's. But um, if you want to try Linguisa here in Dallas, Junior, who we're going to be talking to coming mm-hmm. up, he just added it to his happy hour menu. He so has cool. Linguisa on his happy hour menu, which I was thrilled about. I wonder if you can buy it from him for your Christmas morning eggs and linguisa. I'm going to hit Junior up about that. It's kind of interesting with Christmas traditions. It seems like there's sometimes a Christmas Eve tradition. There's Christmas breakfast and then Christmas dinner also that night. Do you guys do like all three of those things? We do in my house. Christmas Eve is the one I think I like the best. Yeah. We started a tradition in my house, which was not something I did growing up, where we make make your own pizzas So we make homemade pizza dough and everybody gets their own pizza. And we've done it a bunch of different ways. We put them in the oven. We've put them on the big green egg to par bake them. And then uh, we set out just every topping you could think of in little dishes. It looks really pretty all over the countertop and everybody can build their own and there's no wrong way. So if you don't want tomato sauce, you don't have to have it because it's your pizza. We have insane amount of shredded mozzarella cheese and, you know, the kids make their own and the adults make their own. And I always ask in advance because people have specific feelings about their pizzas. Like my mother-in-law likes onion and green pepper only on her pizza. Oh, mm. Okay, so we have that. But of course, we also have like crumbled sausage and pepperonis. And as Claire knows, I like a Hawaiian pizza. Mm -hmm. So I I like a ham and Canadian bacon and nobody else does. So that's just for me. But it is a really great way, whether it's Christmas Eve or not, to feed a bunch of people who have different preferences. Where do you get that pizza dough? We make it. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, flour and water and a couple other things. And we, you know, we roll it out. And in my house, we don't have a rolling pin. We've made this enough times that there's no excuse anymore. Uh, But we use a wine bottle and it works great. (laughs) (laughs) 
Somehow I knew that, that you guys used a wine bottle I know. to rule out. <laughs> My dad <laughs> yeah. has proven you can also use a bottle of tequila as long as it doesn't have like the handle yeah, on it. Yeah, square tequila bottles. Um, we have more wine in our house than anything else, so. <laughs> And what about you, Julie? It's just the four of us. It's just my husband and our two daughters. We don't have family in town, so we always celebrate on our own. So we don't have specific food traditions, but we do go to the Zodiac Room around the holidays to do their holiday buffet every year. Oh, neat. Yeah, and this year we're doing it on Christmas Eve, which is so funny. My kids were so excited. It was like I got Taylor Swift tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas Eve. But the other thing... um, So I'm going to be real honest about this, and we're all going to cross our fingers that my husband doesn't listen to this episode. Every Christmas day, he makes this really beautiful lobster salad just for he and I, because our daughters won't eat it. And he spends a lot of time in the kitchen, and it's uh, this beautiful, he serves it in a martini glass, the lobster with avocado and watercress, and there's this lime vinaigrette that he puts on it. But Mm. every, every Christmas day... I think I'm a little hungover from Christmas Eve still. <laughs> and when he's cooking the lobster in the house, it makes me ill. And by <laughs> that smell. Dave. And by the time we sit down to eat, and he's very proud and it's very beautiful. And I eat the whole damn thing. I eat it. Uh, but every year I'm just a, a little nauseous <laughs> leaning into that thing. But that's, that's our only big food tradition. Julia, it sounds like you, especially when you had younger kids, stayed up late with Santa assembling the toys that he hadn't finished assembling. Yes. It's a long night for you and Santa Mm -hmm. and a lot of red wine and Mm -hmm. it just makes for a tough Christmas morning. You know what the blessing of Christmas morning when you have little kids uh, or maybe when you have your age kids is that they still get up crazy early even if mom had lots of wine. (laughs) Yes. Oh for sure. Oh it's it's tough. It's tough. Yes and uh, by the way Prosecco with the lobster salad. It's excellent. That's right. Yeah it's beautiful. Sorry Dave. It really is good. Erin, what are you making this year? Well, the last couple of years, we've made a Christmas Eve lasagna. My son had a lasagna phase. Like, he was really into Garfield and (laughs) kept begging me for lasagna. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'll make it. But it's kind of a pain to make. Yeah. So I was gonna say, do you make it yourself or is this a family activity? Oh, no, I make it myself. Yeah, not as fun. Not as fun. So I make it myself, but everyone loved it when I made it for Christmas Eve the last couple of years. So I what, think that's going to be something we keep doing. What lasagna do you make? Do you have a go-to recipe? It was sort of a combo of like three different recipes. It was like part Martha Stewart heart Ina Garden but like one was like you know use the no boil noodles mm-hmm. and I was like no yeah I've had some lasagna disasters before with but you crunchy noodles you do a red sauce we're not talking like a spinach lasagna no no okay no. that would not be approved by oh, the I child see. okay <laughs> what about meat um yes Italian sausage a blend of Italian sausage and beef with lots of cheese on top I think that's a great Christmas Eve food. Yeah. I and love it lasagna. Looks Christmassy. Throw some parsley, fresh parsley on top. It's good cold weather food. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's leftovers for the next day. Also, Erin, I give you full permission if you just decide you don't want a deal, go pick one up from Jimmy's <laughs> food store in East Dallas. <laughs> also, <laughs> the really lasagnas good. are great. It's already made for you. That's a good tip. I might do that. Your kid wouldn't know the difference. Give myself a break this Christmas. (laughs) And so um, one, I was looking up food traditions or Christmas traditions across the world. And there was someone I follow on Twitter who asked about Christmas sandwiches. And apparently she's based in the UK. And that is a thing over there. It's Christmas sandwiches. We're all like... 
Christmas what? Yeah, well, I was looking this up, and in the UK, of course, they don't have Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is kind of the sandwich holiday, I think, for Americans, because it's all like the leftover Thanksgiving food that you put into the sandwich. So I think the UK Christmas sandwich is sort of an adaptation. So it's like leftovers, a leftover sandwich? Yeah, it's a lot of like club sandwiches, and I I think it's mostly just a special sandwich, and there are a lot of restaurants and chains in England. It's sort of like a thing every Christmas, it's like, ooh, what's their Christmas sandwich? going to be this year oh so they kind of come up with a new concoction a new creative thing every year and a lot of times it's very special ingredients like pan fried camembert sandwich brie ham and fig jam toasty is kind of what they call their sandwiches and the day after christmas in england is called boxing day and so that's the day that everyone eats sandwiches And so I was looking at this thinking, I really think we should do a sandwich tradition in the U.S. I think that's something we should adopt because it sounds really amazing. At the very least in your own house. You You could do a a lasagna sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the sandwiches. It's not not in my top 10, Julie. It's like I think Americans would just hot dog it. Like, I think we would do some kind of Christmas hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> Rolled up in a slice of pizza and then put back oh, into get the bun. out of here. Stop. I do like a fancy sandwich. Like a really great cheese. Yeah. And a, the fig jam in there just sounded really good. Yeah. A fancy Sammy. Ooh, yeah. You hate that word, Claire. I do. Thanks for saying it. <laughs> fancy Sammy. It, it feels bad coming out. Yeah. You know, something else I was thinking about for Christmas that this is not a tradition. This is just a thought because we keep having parties in my house. I went to Trader Joe's like we all do and bought all the snackies. And my like best thing to do when people are coming over is to have those chocolate covered almonds with the sea salt on the outside from Trader Joe's. I also bought some really good like mixed nuts and I just stocked up on the snacky stuff so Mm -hmm. that within probably eight feet of somewhere where you're standing on the downstairs of our house, you can probably reach something delicious and eat it. The key is to station them further away from your kitchen. So people leave you alone as you're like trying to finish up cooking or food prep. Yeah. I've learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. You keep food elsewhere, people will congregate around it. So Two things. First of all, Sarah's not allowed to reference parties at her house until you have one and invite all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you want to come to the, the party for first grade parents tomorrow night? Yeah. That's, that's what tomorrow's is. Is there alcohol? Of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, number two, I went to a Christmas party this weekend and they served pepidus. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like you'd get at the free range olive station. Stuffed the with- free range olive station. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a callback. Oh my God. I stuffed <laughs> with, that was your joke. That was yours. <laughs> it's really funny when someone else does it. <laughs> but stuffed with goat cheese. So she had taken the goat cheese and kind of whipped it up with some seasonings and then put it in the little pepidou. And it was so good. We were all just standing around that one plate, just hoovering all of those. Are they those little sweetie peppers? Yes. The, the bright red ones that look like they should go on any Christmas table? Yes. yes. Those are also, also good on pizzas. Yeah. Yeah, they're good, they're on, good anything. on anything. Yeah. Mm. But that sounds hard to stuff them. That sounds like delicate work. It seems like it. So these aren't the little teeny tiny ones, but they're... The, but the bigger ones. The bigger ones, that they have a very visible hole that you okay. could... Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Um, and it does look like piping would work best. Yeah. Um, wow. But the girl who hosted this one, she was, she said normally she would pipe, but she was busy. So she just crammed it in there. But they were so good. That might be if you're entertaining a little easy, quickie thing. I can't wait to try it. They were so good. Mm. Thanks, guys. Stick around. We're going to talk with Junior Borges, and then we'll talk about our favorite podcast moments of 2022 and what we want to cover in 2023. 
Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We have a really special guest with us today. We're here at Meridian Restaurant at the Village in Dallas with Chef Junior Borges. Borges and his modern Brazilian restaurant have been really transformational for the Dallas food scene since opening in early 2021. So we're excited to have him as our special grand finale for our podcast this year. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Your restaurant is so beautiful. Thank you. And has been really influential, I think, on the Dallas dining scene since it opened a year and a half ago. So what was your original vision for this restaurant and how has it kind of evolved? I mean, I think the the vision of the restaurant is really to try to kind of cook the food, right? That is means so much to me. And I think throughout my entire career, I have worked in a lot of, you know, French kitchens, Italian kitchens, Japanese restaurant, you know, American kitchens and have been executive chef of, you know, for many years and, and open restaurants and develop concepts and all that. But this was the first place that was like, okay, this is my concept and what am I going to do, you know? And right. I think when kind of thinking about what the food, what I wanted to serve, it was like, well, it has to have a connection. It has to have like, you know, a meaning. And that was really important for me to sort of portray. The ideas start to evolve and it's like, hey, I wanted to serve, you know, pão de queijo on the menu. I wanted to kind of have tapioca, focus on a lot of the tapioca dishes that I grew up eating and the muqueca and all this kind of like, you know, dishes that were so important to me. And at first it was kind of like, I don't know how people were going to receive. I felt like it was very important to push the culinary scene and push the cuisine and present something that you haven't had before, mm-hmm. but it's still giving some level of comfortability to, to people. You know, I think at the end of the day, we're in the hospitality business and my goal is to make people happy. That has to be a tough balance of creating a menu that feels really honest and true to you and to the story that you want to tell, but also keeping in mind the diners. I mean, do you find that to be a struggle for you when you're creating dishes? A little bit because there's right certain dishes that like you comes to mind and you're like, I want to cover with uni. I'm like, well, (laughs) not everyone is going to love uni, you know, and but I think, like, at the time, like, creating this menu, Justin Mosley, he's been with me for a long time, and he was part of developing this menu uh, with me. And I think one of the first dishes that we kind of did was a tapioca fritter. We started, like, hey, I wanted us to make our own hot sauce, cure some meat, and then have this tapioca fritter, which is, like, tapioca and cheese. And I remember the first time we put it together, we had to wait three months for the, f- for the hot sauce to be ready. But then when we all put it together, we were like, and I know it's kind of simplifying, but we look at one another and we're like, it's fried cheese with ham and hot sauce. It will be fine. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. people will get it. And it's part, is a lot of how I ate as a child. You know, Brazil is such like a vast country with so many different cultures. And that was kind of one of the points of showcasing in the restaurant. 
We have such a huge influence of Italian cuisine, such a huge influence of other European cultures, and then obviously Portuguese, and and then you have some of these other like you know Middle Eastern and the Japanese culture. That is so much. As a Brazilian, we don't have this stigma. I'm, I'm an African Brazilian, or am I Asian Brazilian? Like I'm just Brazilian. So I think like you no know, for Brazilian people, they look as like ah this is our food. Like yeah, I grew up eating right like pastel with ham and cheese or pastel with like no cheese and beef which is like essentially a fried empanada so it's very similar to different cultures but it's not super weird mm. you know mm-hmm. and i think based on that i think there was kind of this possibility of really making like a an approachable cuisine but we always think that we always keep that in mind you know because at the end of the day like we're serving the guest Yeah, that's kind of what I love about Brazilian cuisine is that it is very interesting and dynamic but also very familiar still. Like you how you said cheese and ham and hot sauce with the pão de queijo, like that's cheesy bread. You yeah. know, like everyone's going to love the cheesy bread. <laughs> Once <laughs> yeah. they finally have it, they're like this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. What do you see for the future of the restaurant and maybe going a bit bolder in certain directions or tweaking I mean, the menu a little bit? I mean, we opened about a year and a half ago and the mission was always like once we find what those dishes they're almost they're going to work out itself, the dishes that are, we're not going to be able to change, we're not going to be able to take off the menu just because they're going to become staples of the restaurant and signature of the restaurants and I think now we have a good amount of those. And there are certain dishes that were kind of so important to me. You know, one is the calabresa sausage with black beans and farofa. I mean, it is essentially my comfort food. Like mm-hmm. at the end of service, if I'm hungry and I didn't eat, that's what I'm going to eat. A little bit of rice, a little bit of beans, a little farofa, and that's pretty much it. That's my dinner, you know. That is a very important dish for me. But also the mukeka, it was the hardest dish to put on the menu. So my grandmother uh is from Bahia. We grew up in Rio, but my grandmother is from Bahia, which is a big African population is in Brazil and she was always was kind of like a figure in the family of like cooking for everyone. Even though she migrated to Rio in the 50s, she always cooked that cuisine and she always made sure that like no doubt was like, "Hey, this is who we are." And so it was very important for me to to put that dish on the menu. We went through so many versions of this dish because it is a, such a family style normally like homey kind of thing and how we refine this dish. Right. So we went through so much of like do we clear the broth? Do we puree the broth? And I think it was so many times that it was like no this is not good enough. This is not right. This is not, you know. And then until we got to where we are today and and is this And I'm super proud of of the dish and and even proud that like when my mom came and my mom ate it and she's happy with it, you know. I have the stamp of approval, you know, that <laughs> that's like the a, most pressure ever. Like yes, forget yeah. the guest, that's yeah. who you really exactly. have to please. That's yeah. the only customer that matters <laughs> yeah. sometimes. I know. We have changed so much. But then we got to a point that I felt that okay, what's next? How can we continue to push the dining scene to continue to allow the team in the kitchen to progress, to grow, to push themselves and still providing this experience to the guests, but also providing uh even more closer representation of what the modern Brazilian cuisine is. About a week ago, we started a four-course menu. So in the dining room, a lot of these dishes that we couldn't change 
off the menu, we move them to a la carte option that is available at the bar. And then in the dining room, we have a four-course menu that is with choices. So you can still choose your adventure, right? So still choose the dishes that you want to have. Like a tasting menu. It's not quite a tasting menu because because you can choose. Everybody starts with the bread because it became such symbolic of the restaurant as well. Then you have a choice of three dishes on pretty much every single course. Two people can still have eight different dishes, right? We're trying to kind of keep the price pretty reasonable. So if you sit in the dining room, you have this four course. But if you want to have the tapioca fritter that is on a la carte, you can add that to your, to your table, right? If you want to have the, the sausage that I mentioned, you can add that to the table. So there's a lot of things like that that I think is really allowing us to, to push the, the, the concept. I like that format with four courses, but you kind of get to choose. And that way people that you're dining with can choose something else and you can try theirs. I imagine that it's got to be difficult to carve out time for creating and for new development, for things that you want to do when you're, at the end of the day, keeping your restaurant going. And how do you do that? How do you personally find time to get outside of your daily routine and create? you got to work with the right people. You know, Justin and I have been working together for six years. We kind of think very alike. So Tuesday I got here and I thought about this snack for the happy hour menu. And then I was like, well, I was thinking about what if we do this, this and this. And he's like, yeah, I was thinking about the same thing. And then you kind of like, hey, let's maybe add this. Let's do, take this off. Let's make sure we have this. And it's a team. I read something the other day from a chef, a friend of mine, and it kind of stuck with me, I feel like. We're going away from the chef-driven and to more of a team-driven restaurant. It's a setting of the right culture. And I think by doing that, you were stronger. I love that from chef-driven to team-driven. Yeah. I think that'll be, maybe that'll be a trend. Oh, yeah. It's on, it's kind of on my, so we're going to do ins and outs. And that's, that's kind of something on my, my end list for 2023. Creating that balance and, and teaching that balance is, is really hard. But I think that's why you've got to make sure you're investing in them and you're, and you're always kind of keeping them engaged and teaching them something different. I mean, this whole menu transition, like, I got the whole staff, like, super excited, right? Like, it, it teaches them something, something else that they haven't done before, you know? Creating that and also focusing on that, on that development, that mentorship, I think it's, it's important. You know, at the end of the day, like they're the future so if i'm not opening it up and giving the opportunity for people to kind of step further then i'm only doing part of my job i love that you could be like a leadership inspirational speaker (laughs) like ted talks (laughs) (laughs) i think you should do that and so since christmas is coming up what are you doing for christmas are you working mostly we're working we open on christmas eve uh, but then we'll close for Christmas Day, and then we actually close for a few days after Christmas to give the staff some time off with That's their family. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, but be here Christmas Eve, and then with the family on Christmas. And growing up in Brazil, we eat turkey on Christmas. Okay. Because we don't, growing up, wasn't a tradition for us to, to celebrate Thanksgiving. So really, Christmas is when everybody eats the turkey. Okay. Um, <laughs> Everything, all the, the side dishes are different. Okay. You know? There's also summertime in Brazil. So... Is there a lot of beach cheese? There's a lot of beach <laughs> cheese. Just go down to the beach and have some beach cheese. 
but it's usually like my mom loves fish so growing up we kind of always had like some kind of big roasted fish for christmas on top of the turkey uh this chicken salad called salpicão which is kind of like almost like a chicken and it's like mayo base and that is like a bunch of herbs and hearts of palm and like ham and the whole thing's topped with like shoestring potatoes it's oh, yeah. delicious uh <laughs> it's like the but, green bean casserole yeah, yeah like the like, Brazilian yeah. version <laughs> and so yeah so there was always like my mom always had like chestnuts and this almost like a french toast but it wasn't a french toast called habanada which is bread you slice you soak it fry it and then you dust the whole thing cinnamon sugar uh, sounds amazing yeah. so it's kind of like it's just like a, <laughs> on the side you know like are there any dishes that your kids request my my kids are kind of like a little on the picky on the picky uh, side yeah, uh, well, well my four-year-old is, the, is pretty picky but <laughs> but uh so we'll see what he's gonna eat doesn't he know uh, who his dad is i mean come on he knows he kind of like tells me that i'm a i'm a good cook uh when i cook him like chicken nuggets thank you so much junior this was wonderful well thank you so much thank you so much for for having me and giving me the opportunity to share happy holidays and merry christmas uh, happy holidays hey listeners this is christopher Wynn. i'm the arts and entertainment editor for the dallas morning news and that thankfully includes the food team that you're listening to right now what i love about this beat is that food stories are people stories restaurants say a lot about who we are our culture and the health and well-being of our communities if you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. Welcome back, everyone. Since this is our last episode of the year, we wanted to take a minute to reflect on our favorite podcast moments of 2022, but then also look ahead to 2023. So guys, this has been a whirlwind of a project. We've been doing this weekly since April 2022. That's Feels like, like a lot of episodes. Like we've been doing this podcast for 400 years. <laughs> it's very Titanic lady at the end. Like, But how? what number is that? How many episodes is that? We have done 38 episodes of this podcast this oh year, you guys. Gosh. Congratulations. It's impressive. We, we have only- covered a lot of ground, literally and figuratively. But I've really enjoyed it. And some of my favorite moments from 2022 were the pizza episode that Sarah was your idea and you put together because I feel like that was our first off-site experiment. Yes. And it went really well and it was really fun. It was like, oh, we can do this. And we got to eat food <laughs> while we were on the job. Yes. That was great. Our stomachs weren't growling and oh, rumbling gosh. through the whole thing. Yeah. For those listening, Julie, I think it's like a weekly problem of one of us having a rumbling stomach mm-hmm. usually that we have yeah. to pause for and like <laughs> one day I had to dash up to Erin's desk and eat a protein bar out of her purse to quiet <laughs> my growling stomach it's funny for a food podcast there is a surprising lack of food it's true is. yeah I thought we would be eating more but the times we have eaten have been great the pizza and the taste test at the state fair was really amazing yeah the one thing about podcasting and eating at the same time is that sometimes it can be kind of gross so mm-hmm. yeah the I sounds think there's a lot of yeah. smacking and all of those ick moments it reminds me of the worst parts of the sweaty balls skit yes. on snl yes. delicious dish yeah we're trying not to be that yeah. and some weeks we're successful <laughs> 
And so you guys, what are some of your favorite moments from this year? I loved recording at the Haunted Bar oh, at Las Almas yes. Rotas. Mm. Because I walked in there being like, this is bullshit. This place isn't haunted. <laughs> and then a shot glass fell from the ceiling and doors were rattling. And uh, I, yeah, I still don't know what I think but that was a fun one just because it was so unexpected for me. And then I also, I loved talking with Gromer Jeffers, our political reporter, about food on the campaign trail. That was so interesting to me. I love mm-hmm. I love that. I love talking about like food in areas that you don't necessarily think of being as like food areas of coverage, right? But politicians eat and they pick restaurants for very strategic reasons. And that just to me is so fascinating. Yeah, I've really loved just the people we've interviewed and the people we've met and really how game they've been for being on a podcast. We're like, hey, you want to be on this podcast? They're like, I don't listen to podcasts and I have no (laughs) idea what they are, but sure. (laughs) Honestly, one of my favorite interviews was before I even started working with you guys. And it was the Gene Dunstan interview. He was so precious. I want to go eat at his restaurant. I want to go try salad bars with him. And Paula Lambert, she was amazing. What about you, Sarah? Of course, I loved the State Fair taste test because that's my life. (laughs) Um, The mom mode that I get in when it's time to bring everybody to the state fair and then make sure everybody has food and then go around the table and ask what they like about it and their ranking. These are all things that make me so happy all at once. So I loved that. But I even think more than that, my favorite on-site interview was at Italy because I could live inside the accent that Paola had. It was beautiful. And she, I didn't really even care about what she was talking about. I wanted to listen and I wanted to ask more questions about it. And she had really great tips as a great chef who understood how to cook like a regular person. She brought to this podcast what I think we're trying to do, which is none of us are professional chefs and none of us think we're better than anyone who is or is not. So this is making food accessible and interesting and fun. Mm -hmm. And so I thought Paola at Italy really did that. Plus the way she said yummy. She's one of the only people allowed to say yummy because she added an A and an O to it somehow. It's like yummy. yummy. It was so cute. It was, yeah. The other segment that I thought was really fun was when we tried healthy Coke together. Oh, yeah. And I'm the one who keeps bringing the bad food into the room. And this one was not me. This was Claire who On said, accident. Yeah, you said, I, I saw this thing and maybe we should try it. And of course, I'm game to try anything, whether it's going to be delicious or not. But one of my favorite moments about that, which I hope you could hear, is the fizziness in the cup and then we had metal straws and you could hear it clinking with the ice. <laughs> there was just like such a audio moment. An immersive even we experience. Were drinking. Yeah. yeah. And I um and I thought it was funny. We all had different reactions to it. I think which matched our personality. And that was early on in the podcast where people got to know us a little bit better. But I would love to do more of those and I just want to tell the group that I will continue to be the weird food person. But please join me because it's fun over here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Sarah. That's been part of the podcast that I've loved too is the taste test stuff. Like it's just so fun. I made everybody make pumpkin cookies. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Erin, you were like, I hate this so much. I <laughs> thought about them the other day and I was like, I could go for one of those cookies. Yeah. If someone else made that. them. If someone else made them for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know who's gonna make them? Julie's husband Dave. Yeah. 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 He'll accept the challenge. <laughs> I also love how Sarah when you have a taste test or you have an idea for something and you're like, don't tell me what you think now. I oh, want right. you to taste it live so we get like real reactions. Oh yeah, yeah. We don't know what yeah. we're going to think about it, what each other will think about these things before we do it. Yeah, so, exactly. It's, it's all real very time. Funny. honest reactions to things. So I like that. And I do hope we do some more taste test things, some more TikTok trends, although not the pink sauce because I don't want to die. 
<laughs> I know. You shut me down real hard when I suggested I, I was like, the pink oh jawline somewhere. I mean, after seeing all the videos of those jars that people opened that were like bulging and oozing. <laughs> also, for the record, both okay. of those words belong on the band word list. <laughs> bulging <laughs> and oozing? <laughs> yeah, not allowed. <laughs> Yeah. Bulging specifically. But yeah. <laughs> but there's literally no other word to describe what was going on it's with really those. It's really good. And so speaking of 2023, what what else do you guys want to do? Who do we want to talk to? What do we want to cover? Well, what's been on my mind is that next year is an election year in Dallas County. Oh, yeah. So we're, we'll be voting for mayor and for city council seats. And I'd love to dig more into the through lines between our food industry, our restaurant industry here, and our local government. And I also just really want to know where our politicians eat. Like Mayor Eric Johnson, if you're listening to this, which probably aren't, that's okay. I want to know where you eat. Like, we what have are emailed his- you asking. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't responded. <laughs> Do you guys remember the Freakonomics podcast? Yes. It was about Dallas. Yeah. And yep. like, there was a whole story about how Mayor Eric Johnson said he was going to pick them up at the airport and then he couldn't. And they like shamed him through that whole thing about that. <laughs> yeah. not- like sometimes the mayor maybe gets busy. I don't know. Things but- come up. Yeah. That said, if we keep shaming him, he might actually come on the podcast. So <laughs> well, keep rolling. Aaron's goal is just to have the mayor on the podcast. Sarah, you even, he tweeted at us one state fair year about a keto guide and you made one basically just for him. I did. As it turns out, there are other people who eat keto besides the mayor. Yes. That was the, that was the business case for that story. Right. Yes. (laughs) It wasn't just for him, but. Yeah, but you ask and you shall. Yeah, exactly. That's what we do here. What do you want to cover next year, Sarah? I'm concerned about the economy, mm-hmm. not in a way that I want to make people feel weird, but um, I do think we're headed toward a recession and I think that changes consumer habits. And I have talked to restaurateurs who are already bracing themselves. So these are restaurant owners mm-hmm. thinking about how are we going to ride a really good time of the year right now? Restaurants are making money. We are all buying the champagne. Some of us are getting caviar. Maybe you go for the bottle of red instead of the glass. This is good for our small businesses. And a lot of those people are wondering, first of all, the beginning of the year is usually slow for restaurants. But then as we get toward 2023, what does that mean? I'm going to be paying attention to that. And I'm fascinated by how our lives can and should change, you know, when the economy shifts. I also want to pay attention to out-of-town restaurants that promised a debut in Dallas. So here's an example. Major Food Group was supposed to open three restaurants in Dallas, Sedell's, Carbone, and one other. And Sedell's and Carbone are open. Carbone has a next door neighbor called Vino. Some people have said that is Major Food Group restaurant number three. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think there were plans for another. So the question is, are they going to open another restaurant? Do they wait and see? Do they decide to give Sedell's and Carbone a year of business and see whether Dallas is really the boom town they thought it was? Dallas was a shining star in the last couple of years when you compare it to New York and L.A. Well, that all could drastically change if our economy changes. Another example, the company behind Monarch, you know, this restaurant on the 49th floor that has such wonderful views, they were going to open a steakhouse called Maple and Ash in Uptown at Maple Terrace. They're not doing that anymore. So who's going to open there and what does that mean? And also, are we still as interesting to out-of-towners as we used to be? Yeah, and there's been a lot of -of out-of-towners coming to Dallas. Mm -hmm. You've even written about it, like the Vegas to Dallas pipeline. Yeah, it's been getting mm -hmm. very Vegas. Strong. Yeah, very strong. And a New York to Dallas pipeline. All the Danny Grant restaurants coming here um, from Chicago. That is really interesting. And then the question after that, of course, is then what? 
what is Dallas food like after the economy shifts, after out-of-town restaurants either do or do not proliferate here? You know, I think then we need to take some reflection on how our habits change. It's also interesting to me that all the all the rumors about Michelin coming too. I think that if they are coming here, I think we'll be hearing that kind of soon. Yeah. And I think that will change things. You know, I think if we see a Texas guide happen, meaning that Michelin decides to review restaurants statewide, that Dallas will be a city that restaurateurs and chefs want to come to. I, I think another part of it, too, is looking at the independent side of things. These small restaurants that we have already seen struggle this year and several very loved ones close. Cow Noodle Shop and Darku's, both from Chef Donnie, who had to close both of those concepts down, or Modest Rogers, which just recently closed down in the Oakland area. So in a tough economic climate, what does that mean for first-time restaurant operators? Um, these chefs who are really passionate and have an idea and want to branch off, but don't have the financial backing of these big restaurant groups. And if we don't have those opening, then what, what do we have? Erin, what do you want us to cover in 2023? One thing that's been on my mind a lot is Fort Worth. I feel like there's been a lot of interesting stuff happening over there. I really love Bud Kennedy and what he covers in Fort Worth. I would love to have him on, um, meet up at a Fort Worth restaurant and just talk about Fort Worth. And I know that it's more than just one episode. Clearly, Fort Worth, there's a lot going on there. We should cover more frequently. It's hard for us to get out there as much. Oh, yeah. But... I feel like Fort Worth does things right with the neighborhoods and how new people are moving in and creating restaurants, but really keeping neighborhood character. That's really interesting, like the history of Fort Worth. Like with Riata announcing that they're going to close, but like way far out in advance yeah. that they announced it. And then also that they were going to ask everyone where they should open up next. For real estate ideas. Yes, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was kind of adorable. And I liked that, the interactive feel of it. The small um, town feeling too. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's what that's what I kind of like about Fort Worth. So I think we should do more Fort Worth. So one thing I would love to do in the new year, maybe we can do this for our next episode when we're all back together after the holidays, is to talk about our ins and outs for 2023. What do we think are things, or hope, are things that are going to be in and things that are going to be or should be out so that's a little homework assignment for everyone to think about over the next few weeks is what are our big ins and outs for the next year? I love that because I am a huge fan of in and out lists. Like I will read every single one. You know, most people are fans of outs. Oh yeah, that's true. The yeah. ins are fun and we will do those as well, but it's it's really just like the shade throwing yes. that yeah. I think most people are here for <laughs> and we'll do some of that. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week and this year. Thank you all for joining us this year and I hope we've made you hungry for more in 2023. We also want to hear from you. What do you want us to talk about next year and who do you want us to interview? Email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. It's the email address you should already know by now. <laughs> The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of the show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in 2023. Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.